Hello, humans. We are here for the weekly Vine Down with me, Emily Smith. This is a weird weekly talk show where we get candid and talk about all of the myriad of topics in higher ed. Um, whatever feels relevant to us. Right now, we're in the middle of an arc around the Supreme Court decision to end race conscious admission. So you're catching us at like chapter four of this really interesting book. Today, we're going to talk about the Student ex uh, Environment Explorer, which is a new tool we're rolling out, and have a conversation with a couple of panelists about this tool, how we might use this data, um, and what our life looks like moving forward with the end of race conscious admissions. Um, I'd love to introduce myself and tell you about the panelists and guests we have on today's show, uh, and then we are off to the races, my friend. Hi, I'm Emily Smith. I head up partner success at College Vine. I've worked in enrollment for the last 20 years across four different companies doing everything from enrollment consulting, student search, CRM, all of the things. Uh, and I estimate conservatively that I work with probably 500 admissions offices, which is a terrifying statistic. Uh, and so here we are. Um, I'll tell you about the guests we have today. Uh, we've got Derek Brinkley, who's the Associate Vice President for Enrollment at Columbia College Chicago, home of the degree that I should have gotten. They have a comedy writing and performance program that like, I have such FOMO that I didn't go get as a student. Um, so in my old retired age, Derek, you can count on me as an enrolled student. Um, this program is written up as it pushes you to take creative risks, to experiment regularly, giving you space to hone your creative voice. Like, unfortunately for all of you, I'm doing that during this show. So I didn't get that degree, but I wish I had. Um, Derek has been uh, an enrollment leader across four different uh, institutions and has led um, some high school programming as well. The other panelist we have is our own Jason McNair-Falk, who is a member of our community success team. Jason is not playing College Vine employee today. Jason is playing enrollment leader. Jason has led enrollment across three different institutions um, and has worked on the high school side as well. Jason's enrollment institutions range from an HBCU to a predominantly white institution. So we get a great range of uh, opinion there. Uh, and I'm also joined by Vinay, uh, who is our co-founder and head of our strategic and uh, data practices here at College Vine. Um, we have an excellent panel put together today. I'm really excited about that. So first, folks, Vinay is going to demo the Student Environment Explorer that's called the C. Vinay will lead us through a demo. Um, Vinay is going to be demoing at Derek. Um, Derek hasn't seen this tool yet. So uh, we're going to ask Vinay to demo this to Derek and um, take a look at uh, that tool. Derek, please ask lots of questions. And we'll walk through that before we get into our discussion. Awesome. Thank you for that intro, Emily. I'm going to go ahead and just quickly flip, flip over to showing everyone the C, and then um, you're going to get Derek's live and unfiltered reaction to, uh, to the tool. Okay, so what we're taking a look at here is the Student Environment Explorer. And it's a really simple tool that allows you to visualize all of the recruiting opportunities for talented Black and Hispanic students around the country. Um, and so we've run the numbers and the analysis across all the different states, counties, ethnicities, and even academic uh, profiles. At, a, at the end of using this dashboard, you're gonna walk away with a list of the best counties to focus on for your target populations, geographies, grades, and test scores if you consider them. So of course, I know that that's not a really a big factor for you over at Columbia. The C actually has three different dashboards. 
Um, one of them is the, the first one that we're looking at here, which allows you to kind of run the analysis at a nationwide level, at the state level, even down to the county level. And then, it, and then it's basically just a descending series of granularity. So the next tab over allows you to go down to the zip code level once it loads, and you can actually hone in on specific zip codes and get an overview of the ethnicity breakdown, what the, the grades look like, what and what test scores look like for that zip code. And then the last dashboard here, um, and part of the genesis of this is a conversation that you, me, and Jason had back at, I back at IACAC in April, is the ability to look up a bunch of um, contextual data about specific high schools and neighborhoods. So I'd love to dig a little bit more into each of these and, and kind of show you um, what, what you can do. Um, maybe we can even take a look at a couple of examples of some populations and some geographies that Columbia is looking at. So the way that this um, first dashboard works is you're able to filter down on the population you care about. Let's say you're trying to reach more Hispanic students. Um, of course, Columbia is in Illinois, um, Columbia College Chicago, to pre prevent any confusion there. And so we can we can filter down on Illinois. And I know you guys don't really look at at the standardized test scores as much, so we're we're not going to take we're not going to focus in on those. But let's say you're looking for a student that's getting at least a three O um, on the grade point average. So what this is going to do is it's going to give you a breakdown of what that looks like county by county within um, Illinois. And as you can see, for, for Latino students, a, a lot of that energy is going to be in the Chicagoland area. So Cook County, um, a lot of the suburban counties as well. But there are some you know other offshoots, Champaign, where the University of Illinois is, St. Clair, Madison, etc., you can also flip the analysis over to, to black students and you get a very similar looking map. Uh, a lot of Illinois recruitment activity, I'm sure you'll speak to this, uh, is centered on Chicago, right? That's where a lot of population is and that's where a lot of the recruitment happens. Curious if there's any other geographies you'd like to take a look at or, you're, or that you're interested in seeing. Yes, um, I would love to see. Let's look at the state of Ohio. In, in okay. Full disclosure, I am from the great state of Ohio originally, and so it is one of our, you know, kind of collar states that we do tend to get a decent amount of students from anyway um, here at the college, and so I think let, let's dig in here. Okay, so we're looking at the map for Ohio, and it's very different, right? So Illinois is all centered on Chicago. You've got to be building those relationships with high schools, particularly on the south side of Chicago if you're looking to reach talented Black students, maybe more on the west side if you're looking to reach Latino populations. Ohio is structured very differently. You've got sort of three big geographies and then a lot of smaller ones that have pretty decent volume. So Cuyahoga County is Cleveland. Franklin, I believe, is Columbus. Yep. And then down here, Hamilton is um, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. And you've got Dayton right above Cincinnati, I believe, here in Montgomery County. And then you've got Lucas County, which is Toledo. So there's a bunch of different places that you want to be operating. And so... What this is going to do is this is going to allow you to get that county level view. And then the great thing is we can flip over to the next tab and actually drill down even further to specific zip codes, right? Um, and you can really start to see the differences in population from a zip code perspective. Um, and, and, and the reason I guess we built this in this way is as institutions, when you're you know responding or, or thinking about how to operate moving forward after the Supreme Court's decision. You've got plenty of voices in your ears, whether it's your cabinet or your legal team or whomever. And so we wanted to build out a set of resources, um, particularly as you get into these next two tabs, that aren't driven by race, but that center geography, 
while still allowing you to think holistically about your recruiting activities. Um, and so, I mean, we can, we can jump right into Ohio and, and keep taking a look at Ohio. And what we can actually do is filter down all the way to the zip code level, right? So in Ohio, for example, right, we've got a bunch of different zip codes in Franklin County. And so if you're thinking about where you're going to be sending your admissions officers, whoever is staffed for Ohio over at Columbia, this is a really nice guide to think about, hey, here's where we got to focus and prioritize building some more relationships. And then the last piece, and again, this is really meant to be a resource, not just for you, but at this at this level, even for your team as well, you're thinking through the strategy, your team's the one that has to go execute this on the ground. So as they're thinking about applications, particularly once you're outside of your home territory where, you know, maybe you're getting 50, 100 applications from a school, maybe not, but, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20, at least a consistent volume. Once you go outside, maybe you're only getting one or two applications a year. So you, your, your team doesn't necessarily have that natural inclination of this is what this high school is like. And so the advantage of this tool is it allows you to quickly give your admissions officers context about literally any school in the country. Um, we could pull up either of mine or Emily's um, <clears throat> very affluent schooling environments it. if we wanted to show an example nope. of what this looks like in one direction. Um, mm -hmm. Or we can take a look at um, a school. You know, why, why, why don't you throw out a school to me that you know has some some challenges in... in, in... Yeah, yeah. Uh, the school I would actually love to look at is the Chicago School for the Arts. Oh, okay. Like a good feeder for you. It's a good feeder for us, right? It's a CPS school, right? So it's a part of uh, Chicago public schools here in the area. And what I really like about that particular school, it's a very diverse um, institution as well, right? And so I think that there's something to be said about, um, you know, seeing what this looks like specifically for them. And so this is the Academy of Arts. This is a good one to look at too. Different school than the one that I mentioned, but this, I, I think this one will work too, Benet. Yeah, let me um I think it's it's having an issue with the zip code um pairing. Give me one second here. Yep. Not the Chicago School of Economics. That's an entirely <laughs> not, different not uh, the right feeder, probably. There we go. Yep. Chicago High School for the Arts. High for School Art. for the Arts. Okay, perfect. Yes, there we go. All right. Um, and do you have a particular zip code you want to look at? It'll it'll actually pull in regardless of where a student lives within the, within the surrounding area, it'll pull in the exact zip code that that student is from. Cool. Okay. Uh, let us do uh, actually the 60605 zip code. I'm curious about that one. Okay. So you're, you're getting a bunch of data here. Now, For sometimes for certain schools, we don't have all of the pieces of data. Um, public schools tend to have pretty much universal data. Uh, private and magnet schools, sometimes we're missing a couple of data points, but you're able to get an overview of senior class size, um, some obviously state level academic insights, graduation rate, funding level, student to teacher ratio, proportion of students on free and reduced lunch. And then you also get some key neighborhood indicators for, for where the student actually lives, meaning family income, level of education in the community, um, housing price as sort of a proxy for wealth, um, and what the sort of social environment looks like um, with, with crime. So this is this is what we're looking at for Chicago High School for the Arts and that specific zip code. Can I can I ask questions? Am I allowed to do this right now? I'm going to yeah, ask questions. Of course, that's why we're here. This, this is, is live fantastic. TV. 
<laughs> right? It is, it is live. You all are truly getting my like real reaction to this. And I love it. And I'm like taking notes over here um, as well. One of the things I'm really curious about, Vinay, when you think about this, right? I'm, I'm looking here at that environment index. And I think one of the things that I would just love to get a sense from you in terms of like, is that a score that you all are creating through College Vine? Is that another index that you're getting from an outside source? How, how did that index, where does that index come from? And, and you know, what exactly is that index really indicating? Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. For users as we're looking into, uh, into the- For sure. So it's, um, it's a score that we developed and it basically aggregates 11 data points. Most of them you see on this page, a couple that are um, not displayed on this page, but that are, are behind the scenes, like level of social capital um, and level of economic mobility within a community. And the way to understand the environment index is it's a zero to 100 score where a higher environment index indicates a more challenging school and neighborhood environment um, specifically on factors where there's proven research to point to the fact that it impacts a student's educational performance and journey, right? So stuff like poverty in the community, crime, lack of wealth, um, less education in the community translating into less context about the college journey and the things that a student might have to do to get on that journey. Um, fewer faculty and counseling resources, right? A lot of those questions, uh, you know, those are the indicator variables that ladder into the environment index. And so the Chicago High School for the Arts, for example, it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, it's about a, it's about midway in, in terms of the country. And the trade-off is there are some challenges that the, these, student, these student populations physically face, but it's also in Chicago, which is a place that has plenty of, of jobs and opportunity. And so it's economically a lot better off than, than some neighborhoods that you might look at. Um, I think, for example, like I, I'll just call out one that... Um, our new um, uh, team member, Jose, who spent a lot of time in um, in Georgia as the VP over at um, uh, as, as, as the VP over at um, uh, Morehouse College, he, he, he sort of spoke to a, a school called Herschel Jenkins down in um, Savannah, Georgia. Right. And you'll see here it's it's got an environment index of 80. And that's environment where even though Chicago has its challenges, Savannah, particularly for 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 black folks, um, presents even even more challenges, right? Yeah, but um, I'm going. I'm glad you're going into the southeast a little bit. I see a couple of colleagues who've joined us on the attendee side who are from public institutions in the southeast. Um, so won't call you out, but I'm seeing who you are. Uh, so I definitely want to make sure that we're like looking at this across the whole country too, because as you're saying, like this this environment index definitely changes as as the geos shift. Yeah. And I and, think what's and, really great about seeing something like this too, Vinay, if you don't mind, is, is you know, the fact that, and I'm thinking about this particular school, right, um, Herschel Jenkins down in Savannah, Georgia, I think sometimes for some admission counselors, right, they may not know how challenging an environment is, I, I, or maybe I'll even say it this way, I think oftentimes there are misconceptions about what an urban environment is, what a rural environment is, what a suburban environment is. And so there really is something about this in terms of having that index um, here that really, I think, can give um, and maybe actually break down some misconceptions about 
certain schools, certain areas of the country, certain neighborhoods, um, those kind of things. So I really, really like that. Um, I, I, I'm really curious about that because um, I want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly too. The relationship between selecting the high school and then selecting that neighborhood zip code. It sounds like that those zips are going to be zip codes of specific students in terms of what neighborhoods they are living in yep, absolutely. are actually attending that specific high school. Exactly, yeah. And the way to think about this is the environment index takes some uh, variables from the school and some variables from the student's neighborhood. And the idea there is basically like, what a student's school is like is going to impact their education. What a student's neighborhood is like is going to impact their education. But two students can attend the same school, but be in very different neighborhood environments. And so these data points are shown for the school and for the, the neighborhood, the, the ones in, in, I guess this is a beige. I'm not a great colors person, but the, <laughs> the beige down here is the uh, neighborhood level variables. The blue up top is the school level variables. The environment index is a combined calculation. So you can flip it around and you can look at other neighborhoods in Savannah and you'll see that the environment index changes a little bit because the school is still the school. But if a student is living in this zip code, you know, maybe the neighborhood environment is a little less challenging or, or does not present as many challenges, right? Yeah. And to your point, it's kind of the combination of those two items, then, if you will, that really mm -hmm. kind of allow us to come up with this environment index. Love yeah. that. Absolutely. Um, when we were looking earlier, and I think it was under the recruitment opportunity tab, um, there was kind of the scores and the GPAs kind of, you know, ways that we can kind of uh, dig into the students. I'm really curious when we look here, right? Are all of these students that are in this aggregate view, as an example, capturing every student in that particular State, I guess I'm curious how you're getting kind of some of the yes. score information and the GPA information to also combine that yeah. with the rest of the data. Absolutely. So if we pull back to this sort of maximal view here, right, um, this will just kind of illustrate my point. So the raw volume data comes from the iPads and NCES reporting about Black and, and Hispanic um, college matriculants broken out by state and broken out by county. So we're using a government data set to get to this overarching data point here. Sorry, I, I, think, I think my key was still on the slider there. Um, this is Ohio. If you flip it out back to the nationwide, it's nationwide. Um, it's obviously a year or two old at this point because iPads takes a, a while to come out, but it's based on the most recent iPads data that's available. Part of the magic of who we are as College Vine, right, is we see so many of these students, right? Something like 40% of these students are on College Vine, if not a little bit more. Um, and so part of the, 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 the magic that we're able to bring to the table is because we see these student profiles, we see what the distributions look like, we see what those distributions look like on a geographic basis, we built a model that estimates this, right? These numbers are not going to be exact. They might be plus or minus 10, plus or minus 5, but they're going to give you a, a much better insight than just raw volumes of college-bound students because, hey, you you have an academic profile to target. And in normal times, that's like important. But now after the decision, if you aren't thoughtful about how you incorporate that into your recruitment strategy for diverse students, there's some legal risk potentially as well. So that's that's why we, we built out this aspect here. Um, and I think the, the something that we heard from um, another institution that we showed this to was, you know, the degree to which they're this is useful not just for setting your own strategy and using within your office, but also as a communication tool outwards and upwards, right? You know, to some extent, oftentimes, 
boards and cabinets have this goal in their head, like, hey, we need to reach more diverse students, or hey, we need to grow black enrollment, but they have no conception of what that means, particularly if you're an institution that does a lot of local recruitment. Hey, what does it actually mean for us to get, you know, black students who are in that sort of target academic range that we're looking for? And how, how much can, of that can we do in our backyard? And how much are we going to have to go outwards? And what does that mean for our recruitment strategy and budget? And so I think that's the other interesting dynamic um, that we're hearing from uh, as, as some of that initial feedback. Yeah, interestingly, we're hearing, you know, like this gives you a perspective of how to get down to the number of students that are available to you and that you're working with here. Because I think boards like to think like, go recruit black and brown students. And and it's like cool to say, yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. But then if you can show your board like, okay, and here's what we're competing for. And here's the attention that we're competing for. And there are 300 students that meet that criteria board, like what are we going to do to compete with those students, especially if we're recruiting super high achieving students, you're competing with Ivies, you're competing with the super selective HBCUs, like that is a numbers game that is very hard to uh, look away from if you're looking at, you know, four digit, three digit numbers of like the audience that meet that criteria. Um, and I think that's that's really sobering for boards to see like really what enrollment offices are, are working with. I think the, the last thing that I at least have for now, you know, at this point in time is I love the fact that, that you really do get a chance to kind of dive into both our Black and Hispanic populations together, right? Because we do know that I think Black and Brown students is, uh, you know, based on the court ruling, I, you know, I think that it is my perception, my opinion, I, I guess I should say that uh, one of the things that folks are trying to do is, is, you know, reduce the amount of Black and Brown students that are college. I, I am curious, you know, have you all thought about adding in Asian as a part of, um, you know, a, a filter, you know, that folks could use, um, you know, given that, uh, at least for us here at Columbia, you know, that is also another target population that we are also looking, you know, to ensure that we can, uh, you know, continue to serve, you know, as they come through, through our process here at the college. Yeah, absolutely. So, to let you peek behind the curtain for a second. Our overarching strategy is we want to get to a point where enrollment leaders like yourselves that are work like yourself that are working with College Vine, you have access to the kinds of market analysis and strategy building data tools that folks in other industries have. And that's historically not been a discipline or or an offering that's really been around in higher ed. Right. If you want this analysis, normally you go to EAB or you go to like Hetchinger or someone like that and you say, hey, produce me a custom report and I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to write you uh, a five or six figure check so that you do it for me. Right. And that has implications for who, you, like, because if, if your institution doesn't want to budget a hundred grand to run this analysis, well, you're out of luck. You got to go bum it off someone. Right. Um, and so part of our overarching strategy here is we're, we're trying to bring this type of data to everyone um, holistically, right? And so, you know, I can share, I don't think I'm revealing any embargoed information that we're building, a, we're going to build a more robust version of this that's with our technology that's a lot faster, that's richer, that pulls in more of the data from our profiles. This is built in a more limited manner for this specific moment as a speed, quick, yeah. easy response or a quick, easy tool that we can, that institutions can start to use to um, respond to affirmative action. So it's coming is, is the, is the easy way of summarizing that answer. 
You're reminding me, Vinay, too, that, and we're totally burying the lead. So if you're chewing your lunch, like, stop your chewing for just a second. Um, I see a mix of folks in our audience. Derek is a partner of ours um, at Columbia College Chicago, but we've got a mix of partners and non-partners in our audience. One thing that I'm to- we totally buried the lead on at the top of the show, this is a tool that's free and that we're rolling out to colleges regardless of their partnership with us. This is just data you got to know. This is not like something we're trying to sell. This is just data that you have to have. Um, and this is a free thing that you can use independent of being a partner of College Vine. So sorry for bearing the lead, like yay free tool. Um, here's its nice looking landing page. Yeah, you didn't, you did not say that. Sorry, it's free. <laughs> it's a bad infomercial. When, yeah, when, this is a terrible when infomercial. Have this access? is a free tool. What's the, like, when, when do I get this? What's the, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, thanks we'll, for we'll get you set the up. link. We'll get we'll get you set up right right after the call. Great. So I think we should segue into conversation a little bit. Um, and Vinay, unless there's something specific you want to share, we may go back to the screen at some point. But let's cut the screen sharing so that all of you out there in TV land can see our big faces. It's our big face moment. Uh, <laughs> Jason, I have a question for you. So you've um, you've recruited uh, at, a, at large publics and you've recruited at s- uh, smaller schools as well. You've recruited at some predominantly white institutions. I'm curious how you would direct your teams to do some of this recruitment and use tools like this while maintaining compliance, because that's sort of the specter that we have over mm-hmm. our heads is sort of this compliance as- aspect. And yet our goals are still really centered around like diverse audiences and doing really the right thing here. Um, how would you direct your team around um around uh, using this type of data while maintaining compliance? Oh, that is an awesome question. I think regardless of how you feel about the decision from the Supreme Court, we know that we have a task as human beings in the higher ed space to ensure that all students have access to a quality and affordable education. So I think I've always empowered my team to use whatever tools we have in front of us to do good work. And I think it's going to be very individualized for the individual counselors. It's also going to be very individualized for the territories that they are tasked in recruiting. First and foremost, I want to make sure that we have a overall arching idea as a institution, as an enrollment office, what's our stance? When are we using race? Mm-hmm. How are we using race? So I think I'm not on a college campus anymore, but if I was, I would say that it's still okay to have a layer of race in the prospecting and search piece. I think if you read the, the decision and working with your counsel on campus, you may not can use race in the application process. So from the prospecting piece, I would really encourage my uh, admissions counselors to understand their particular territory, use this tool to find those pockets of students that we know are right fit. You know the GPA range, you know your test score range, you know those extracurricular activities, those things that really make that student a right fit for your institution. Using this tool, let's find schools we have not recruited at before. I see it as a new way to build new recruitment partnerships with high school counselors and CBOs in areas you have not recruited in before, because now you have the visibility into state, county, and city level to say, here's high school A. They are 50 miles outside of our school, and we have received zero applications from them in the last five cycles. What's going on? According to this data, we should be there because there's a thousand kids who fit the, the parameters that 
are right fit students for that institution. So I want to empower the team to go out, use this to to really target new recruitment areas. That's what I would do. Yeah. So I'm hearing from you, like step one, understand what your legal counsel is telling you is compliant. Step two, like push up against the edge of that and then diagnose different opportunities, right? Like I think there's this shift in the last, I would say I feel felt it more in the last five years than than any other time of uh, enrollment offices who are questioning, like, we've always done it this way and things based on feeling, right? And moving towards more like systems rather than uh, sort of perceptions and feelings and sort of the oral history of enrollment. Um, and I like this as a tool to diagnose, like to direct behaviors, because I think historically, as Vinay pointed out a couple of minutes ago, we in enrollment haven't had tools and data that direct behavior. We have a lot of history, we have a lot of feelings, we have a lot of like um, uh, sort of uh, intuition, but not a lot that supports that decision. The other well, thing that to I- To be fair, that's actually yeah. erasure of all the data that's hidden down in the bowels of the College Board, but that's neither here nor there. Well, sure. I, I and I think actually it's it's a it's a result of like, and I, let's do this in a future show. That it's like a result of operational dysfunction that gets really loud at institutions that like you can't look like if you're trying to solve big burning fires with your CRM and your data and like lost data and a new team, like you can't get savvy about looking at data, like stepping back to make good decisions. So regardless of having access to it, I think it's it's like a factor of this data hasn't been made available for you uh, the way it is in consumer sectors. And like just operational nightmares get really big and loud that don't allow you to go focus on it. Um, but I love this idea of having a tool that allow you to go like shape behaviors. The other thing that I think about a lot here is that the SCOTUS decision didn't happen in a vacuum. Like this isn't the only big thing that's happening in enrollment. This is maybe the biggest thing, but it's among many other big things like search cliff, demographic cliff, changes to the FAFSA, uh, like our hangover from COVID, our inability to staff in enrollment. And I'm wondering, Derek, for you, first question is like, what feels compliant to your institution? And two, like you already do this well with a fairly stable staff. How do you triangulate all of those problems to direct your team? So question one, like what is what is the institution making the call on for you? And two, given the shape of the rest of those problems, how do you go direct the team? Yeah, um, that's a great question, Emily. You know, for, for us, uh, the first place I'll start in terms of how are we approaching this at Columbia College Chicago. Number one, I and, and this is my recommendation to all institutions that are here on this call, watching this call afterwards, that are thinking about how do we really kind of navigate this process. I think number one, again, getting in touch with your legal counsel and start to have those conversations with legal counsel about your specific institution's risk as a part of this process. And in some ways the reward, right? Kind of that balance between risk and reward for your particular institution. So as a, you know, a college for creatives that is based in Chicago, Illinois, 60 plus percent of our students are students of color, 40 plus percent of our students identify as members of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and we admit 90 plus percent of our students who apply to the college the way in which that we are going to respond to this ruling is going to be very different than an institution that is highly uh, selective or highly rejective, as I like to say. Like th There are just going to be differences in terms of people looking at us at Columbia different than they're going to look at 
UNC, at Harvard, at some of these institutions that, um, you know, are, are, are more highly selective and that kind of thing. I was speaking with, or actually said in a webinar yesterday, and, and you know, our colleague Derek Kendall from the University of Wisconsin at uh, Madison was just talking about how frequently they're getting data requests, um, you know, for all of these different things that are going on. And so for us, um, you know, we are um, not as concerned about the, uh, the the lack of being able to do race conscious admission for us as a whole, because that has not been a part of our process in terms of enrolling at the college in general, right? So for us, it's a little bit different, but for us also, um, you know, we have direct entry programs for some of our specialized BFA um, and Bachelor of Music programs, in particular, musical theater performance and acting, right? We accept or we enroll 16 students every year for those particular programs. And currently they have to go through an audition process and mm -hmm. all of these things. And so our conversations are much more about how do we help faculty through the review processes for these particular students that we are going to be auditioning for performing arts-based programs here at the college. And what does that mean in terms of the types of uh, plays and musicals that we are able to do at the oh, college the based on sure. the makeup of the students that we have and that kind of thing, right? So we're in a really interesting situation because, um, again, it, it's, it's less about getting into Columbia as a whole. It is really for us about some of these very specific programs that we are shaping um, those classes in a very different way than we're kind of shaping our overall um, enrollment here at the college. So that's maybe the number one for us that we're thinking The other about. thing that's interesting is... Um, well, I, I have two observations against that. The first is that because of who you are and how you run your admissions process, um, you know, there are some PWIs that are really going to lose out, including art schools. But precisely because you don't have a quote unquote competitive admissions process, that in some ways, there's some opportunity created for you to reach students who would have otherwise gone somewhere else. Um, and yeah, maybe it's, it's that other institution's loss, but there's an opportunity as well. And I think um, the response in higher ed so far has been fear, right? Like that's the default response, right? Fear. And there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of changes. It's happening over summer vacation. Um, but for a lot of institutions, if you're not someone who runs a selective admissions process, you're also being handed an opportunity to reach students that, that may not have given you the time of day before. I think that's a really interesting dynamic that will shake out over the next few months. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was just reading there's data somewhere that, you know, 90% of the colleges and universities here in the United States um, have selectivity rates that are higher than 50%, right? And so when you think about the, the vast majority of us are admitting the majority of the students that are applying to our institutions, I do think that a lot of institutions to that point, and they have an opportunity to really um, think about how they might be able to, and I don't want to say take advantage of the ruling that's out there, but be able to say, okay, for our institution, right, um, here are some of the things that we might be able to expect and some opportunities that we really might be able to um, take advantage of because of the fact that we attract, again, a larger student population or where, you know, we, we admit, you know, 70% of the students that, you know, apply to our particular institutions. Yeah. Right. Well, I think the other thing that's the volume. Oh, there. sorry. Go ahead, Emily. No, please. The other thing that I think is an interesting observation is just that um, in some ways you're also lucky because if you look at the institutions and the places where you've seen the most um, turmoil caused, there is an intersection with the political process. Right. Um, and as with a lot of different things um, over the past few years, sort of following a Supreme Court decision, 
you're seeing a bit of a bifurcation depending on the ideological predilections of the state legislature, right? And if that state legislature is composed of a lot of lawmakers who are skeptical of the use of race, it's going to be a much worse environment and structure um, for not only your admission programs, which regardless of whether they're selective or not, that's one piece of the puzzle, but race-based scholarships, race-based outreach programs, race-based education programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look in some of the states around Illinois, and there's a lot more going on than what I'm sure you're likely to see in Illinois. So I think that's Absolutely. also an interesting dynamic to, to keep an eye on. And, and, and for us, you know, we we are trying to, in some ways, take advantage of, of some of that in, in a way, right? Again, being in the state of Illinois, uh, given our the makeup of our state legislator, late legislatures here in the state of Illinois, um, we're very lucky in a lot of ways, right? There's a lot of protections that our state has really put into place. And, you know, I think about, again, the fact we attract 44% of last year's freshman class were LGBTQ plus students. How are we in some ways using that to our advantage compared to some of these other states where, um, you know, our trans students may not be as welcomed or as comfortable or whatnot on campus, right? So that's, you know, something that's there. To to your second question, Emily, in terms of like, so yeah, you've got kind of a lot of colleges, right, are dealing with staffing challenges, you're dealing with financial challenges, you're dealing, I mean, there's all of these kind of layers to it. Um, and I, you know, I, I, as a leader, as an enrollment leader, um, I think it is very important uh, for those of you that are in that leadership role at your particular institutions um, to really continue to really think about the interplay of all of those different things, right? Um, as it relates to no longer being able to, to use race in, in the college admissions process, um, I really encourage colleges and universities to really Again, think about what are what are those other things that you can be doing again to mitigate, um, you know, some of the you know the rulings that are out there, right? And I always like to say that a lot of, in my view, um, you know, recruiting students of color. One of the first things I actually tell colleges and universities to pay attention to are the people that are out there recruiting students, right? If if your makeup of your staff does not necessarily look at like the makeup of the students that you want to attract to your college. Um, that's something to think about, right? That is something to, to mm-hmm. consider and really think about how are you you doing that, right? And so, you know, for us, um, about, I think I have this number, right? It's somewhere in the neighborhood of 60% of our staff are folks of color. Um, I have a large number of, uh, of staff members who are, um, actually there's like four or five people that are trans um, identifying folks, a couple of folks that are non-binary, right? So, you know, for me, one of the things that we have really worked really hard at over the course of the last six or seven years since I've been at Columbia is again, thinking from the very beginning, what's the makeup of our staff look like, right? And are we, you know, making sure that that looks good? Um, What are we doing from a scholarship standpoint for specific students and that kind of thing? So for us, a lot of our scholarships, less about race, but more, you know, we've got a big scholarship for students from Chicago Public Schools, as an example, that we are really, um, you know, kind of leaning into. I I, I just think that it's, as a leader, it is so incredibly important that you've really got to balance all of those kind of things that are going on in the world. Um, and, And, you know, if you're keeping your mission um, at the center of what it is that you are doing day in and day out and that you are in, in your institution, make sure that you all really know what your mission is. That was one of the big things uh, that was talked about yesterday in uh, one of the NACAC, NASFA, um, and ACRO webinars about this particular topic is 
know your mission, right? If you know your mission and you can tie the work that you are doing directly back to the mission that you have as an institution, those are some of the better things that you can do um, in order to um, you know, try to mitigate any sort of, whether it be lawsuits, those kind of things that may be coming um, you know, from other folks in the process as well. So I don't know, Emily, that really got to your second question in a way, but um, again, all of these factors, they do, they play a role in, in, in how we move forward. And um, you know, it's important not to just think about, okay, how do we get more students of color? With this platform like you know, the one that you all are rolling out, which is fantastic. I'm excited about it. But there are so many other pieces to this um, yeah. that colleges and universities need to be paying attention to um, that I think will help in terms of how you are recruiting diverse students to your particular college. Again, it's not just where are they and how do we find them? How do we market to them? How are we talking to them? What language are we using? Um, you know, I and I'm going to go back to like the gender thing for us. Like we, we don't use guys we don't talk about you know your parents we we're, we're we try to make things just a little bit more open so that students regardless of their background can see themselves in that marketing and that communication and whatever it is that we're doing um, in order to achieve achieve our goals yeah derek i think i appreciate from your perspective you are so much further on like your operation you have created this your operation is so much further down the road than so many you're very rightly saying like there's a data kernel in the middle and there's this holistic di diagnosis of the makeup of your staff, what your brand says, what your mission says, and what the rest of your people and process create, right? So like maybe informed by data with this overlay of the whole other thing, um, like you are at step four down this road because of very intentional things that your institution have, have done and has done and that you as a leader have done. Um, and I think you are such a, sort of like, I think many enrollment leaders look at what Columbia College is doing sort of aspirationally because of that. Because I think if other people are like, oh, wait, I have, now I have to retool my staff. I have to retool my messages. Like, yeah, those are the things that you should be looking at and trying to uh, trying to make sure are representative yeah. of, of the and, overall brand and mission. And looking at anyway, right? Like, yeah. I hope that for folks here on the call, that this is not the first time that you have been going through your policies, your procedures, your, again, how you're framing, uh, you know, your emails, your marketing, like, these are the kind of things that should be done all the time, keeping that diversity lens to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so whether that's through you as the leader of that area, if you have people on your team that are helping with keeping that lens there, right? I think what's helpful for me, and I, I hate I don't hate this. I love this. Um, I'm a black queer man. I love those two things about myself. But because of that, that does allow me to look at our policies and procedures with that lens anyway, right? If you are a person that's not from maybe a diverse background in that kind of way, you might want to really think about, because I think it can be harder to keep some of those things at the forefront of your mind if you don't actually share those identities in some ways. Totally. Right? And so for me, it's easy because I share those identities. So I just naturally look at things in that kind of way, keeping those items in mind. Um, but if you're not, what what what's the rest what are you of gonna do about what, it? Again, what yeah. are you gonna do about it? Right. And the other thing I want to mention real quick, Emily, that you said that I tell my staff this all the time. The work that we do, I think, should be data informed and not yes. necessarily always data driven, right? I don't always have data driving every single decision that I'm making, but the data is absolutely going to inform, um, you know, the route in which that we are going um, 
day in and day out. And so I think that part of it is so incredibly important to think about with all data sets, right? Because, you know, between this new data set that you all are providing, I mean, we all have our own CRMs with our own internal data. There's all sorts of other external stuff. Um, if you are making decisions based on every single piece of the data points that you have out there, I think you get into, for me, I get into decision paralysis because it's kind of like, well, this data is saying this thing, but this other data is saying something different. How do I make the decision? I'm always thinking about how is the data that I'm, I'm looking at informing the way that we're really driving forward um, with, again, strategy, procedures, policy, process um, in the recruitment process. Yeah, right. There's like a, a human layer to being data-led. Yes. Yeah, yes. for sure. For sure. Okay, I have one final question to Jason before we wrap it up, which is, Jason, we've talked a lot about um, recruiting students in in urban areas and and sort of some of the things that like Derek and his institution have set up to make this easier, to make this into bite-sized things instead of like, ah, we have to do all this big things all at once. I'm curious from your perspective, you've recruited a lot rurally, and I'm curious um, how you would direct a staff to to reach a diverse population of rural black and brown students differently than perhaps some of the sort of the through line that we've had on on more of an urban lens. Oh, you you say the tough question for last there. Yeah, I Thank did. you so much. Yep, I, I feel you like bet. you gave Derek easy questions, but it's I fine. Did. It's fine, mm -hmm. Derek. I love you. You're great. Um, so, you know, speaking of Derek, like I am a black male who grew up on a in a farming community in Virginia. So the definition of rule, you look at that in the dictionary, you probably see a picture of me and my family. So thinking about my own experience, I can think of a very limited number of high schools um, and very limited number of colleges that came to the high schools in my area to recruit us just because we were rural. Um, there was some misperceptions of who we are uh, as students. There was some misperceptions about our ability to afford college. I mean being transparent here, we were poor, so I needed a full ride. So think, thankfully I did receive a full ride. But I think if you are an institution and you are in an area where rule recruitment is critical to you reaching your enrollment goals, we, we like often to think that what we do in an urban environment is not the same thing we should do in the rural environment. I wanna throw that out of the window. I think there's a lot of commonalities between recruitment and strategies across the board. We have to remember that students are human beings. And the same things that you'll do for an urban student is very similar to the same thing that you would do for a rural student. I think with the C2, what you're able to see you see what I did there, C and C. <laughs> uh, what you're able to see is that there's pockets of these students in unique rural areas. My entire area was rural, but the, the rural people of color stayed in one area. The rural people that were white stayed in one area. So if you're able to use this tool to pinpoint where are those rural areas where you're able to target those students that you want to diversify, whatever that means for your institution, then you can use this tool to do that. I think Derek, you said something that I will wrap up my answer to this question is that I think there's a lot of opportunities here for institutions to think outside the box now. Yes, there are more, I guess, challenges to enrollment, but with these challenges, I think there's a lot of gray area that you can redefine who you are as an institution. I also think students and parents are becoming more empowered. They are becoming more involved in the college admissions process, and they're going to start asking institutions of all calibers tough questions. Why don't I see more of folks who look like me on your staff? Why aren't there more professors on your campus who look like me? Why isn't there additional 
scholarship or fundings and things. And I think what the ruling has done with the Supreme Court and other things that are challenging in higher ed right now, it is allowing colleges to hide behind a veil and parents and families are going to quickly understand and know if this institution that is really about me or if they just want me to fill some type of weird quota. And so I think it's gonna either have institutions who's like Supreme Court say we can't use race, let's remove race altogether and that's the end all be all. And then there's gonna be some institutions like Columbia College of Chicago said, hey, we've been race blind forever. We've never used race and we still have a diverse class. So I think there's gonna be a stark line between institutions who use the decision to either benefit or disadvantage certain groups. I won't specify certain groups. I'll leave that very open. But I think if you're an enrollment leader and you aren't working with your, your team, if you aren't working up to your president at your institution, your institution may get a perception around the community that you don't want, and it will take ages to change that. So be very yeah. careful. Can, I, Thank can you. I jump in real quick there with that? We're at time, but yes, I give you- oh, Just one real quick do thing. It. Um, so, 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 so important, particularly with your recruitment staff, um, as parents and families are starting to ask more of these questions, what's the culture like at your particular institution? I've worked at places before where it's not that we went live per se, but we really painted a much different picture than what it actually was for the real students of color that are actually living there on campus or, or attending that particular institution. So incredibly important. Authenticity is so incredibly key. Please don't sugarcoat some of the stuff that's happening on campus. Folks of color, and I'll speak maybe even for myself, I don't expect things to be perfect. I know mm -hmm. what, we know what the world is like. We know how things can go um, in, in you know, the society that we live in today. And so we're not expecting perfection necessarily, but I want the realness, right? I want to know what is really that experience going to be like for me on that particular college campus. And so be cognizant of some of the additional labor that some of your folks of color on your staffs may be doing um, as a part of that process, right? Oftentimes, every in my entire career, black and brown families feel much more comfortable, for good or for bad, coming to me and asking me about the questions about culture, race, how does, you know, how are things on campus? How are you going to protect my child and make sure that my my student stays safe, right? That was the thing my grandmother wanted to know. She care less about the money part, all of those kind of kind of things. It was, are you gonna, are you gonna keep an eye on my baby? Are you gonna protect my baby and make sure that he's okay, you know, as he goes through the process? And so I think it's so incredibly important to ensure that it, again, it's not just about using the tools. It's then how do we talk about these things? How do we uh, do an assessment on our campus to really get a sense of what's the climate really like, um, you know, for folks on our campus and then be able to use um, the reality of much of that, um, you know, as you're out there talking um, to students and families too. Yeah. Louder for the folks in the back room. Put it on the shirt. Yep. Damn, I love that we came to the show expecting a conversation about data and are leaving this show with a holistic and human perspective of all of these things. Like, I just want to say to our panelists, thank you so much for your transparency, your insight. It is deeply heartwarming for me to have this conversation that we start orienting around data and then talk about people, processes, and humanness as this really big overlay. Um, really, really important and really impressive that we got to this place where we're talking about the holistic and the human elements here. I really appreciate everyone's insights, transparency, advice, these systems and thinking is really important. For our audience, this is free. Uh, this tool is free. 
these conversations are free. Uh, we're rolling out the Student Environment Explorer in the next couple of days. Um, please, please, please have the tough conversations internally so that um, we can get to a place of, of higher thinking and more holistic organization around this really important topic. We'll be here next week for another Vine Down with Emily Smith and some guests. We need a theme song. We'll work on that. Thanks, folks, for joining. Have a great rest of your day. Stay well. Be hydrated. Be kind. Talk to you soon.